editor, former online and managing editor, and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is 10 o'clock on a Thursday night, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. I'm in studio alone. I'm in studio alone today on this Thursday night, but we got a we got a packed show for you guys again. Again, we thank you guys for joining us on this Thursday episode of the Talk That Talk Radio Show. Now, as I as I typically say, when whenever it's just me in this uh, studio, you guys are bound to get. ranting rally that's that's probably uh the safest bet you guys are probably going to get some things that i'm going to be in be able to run in here uh unopposed and we'll see where it goes i do have some basketball topics i think we're going to discuss basketball for this entire first hour um basketball players i'll say that we're going to discuss basketball players the first hour um not not every topic necessarily has to do with the game of basketball but uh, in addition to that, we got some uh, uh, we got some football news. We got some football news to get to. We got some local news to get to in football, and we also have some news that's, that 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 expands beyond the desert here in, in Vegas. But nevertheless, uh, we do have a packed show for you guys, and then we're gonna end it out with some baseball. So uh, as we typically do, we're gonna start with my mom's tip. And uh, my mom sent me a couple today and Thursday, as a matter of fact. If you guys are watching on our live stream, we apologize. Actually, let me get back to the social medias. I apologize. Uh, if you guys want to follow us on any of our social medias, you guys can follow us at the Talk That Talk radio show. Once again, on Facebook, on Instagram, SoundCloud, anywhere you guys can find us at Talk That Talk radio show. The only one I didn't mention was Twitter. That's the one that you can find us at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, our Twitter is Talk That Talk LV. Now, uh, my mom sent a couple of tip-ins. Um... Yesterday and today. And the one that I liked actually was from yesterday. Or I say yesterday, Monday. Monday show. And I like this one, and we'll just go ahead and drop it and, and, and get right to business. I didn't get here by wishing for it or hoping for it, but by working for it. I didn't get here by wishing for it or hoping for it, but by working for it. Now... Thank you, Mom, for that tip in. Um, as a matter of fact, I wanted to start with that one. I like that one more than anything. Uh, I tell people all the time, it, you got to be arrogant in uh, what you do, right? It takes a certain level of arrogance to be successful. Uh, I am one of those firm believers. Um, however, the reason why I say that and the reason why that's even possible is because you put the work in. You put the you, you put the time in. You put the effort in already. So um, that's where that comes from. So I read my mom's tip in, and it it definitely uh, rung true to me. So let's go ahead and, and get started with some basketball talk. As mentioned before, today is July 7th. So today is the first day of the 2K, excuse me, the NBA 2K23 NBA Summer League here in Las Vegas, taking place from the Cox Pavilion and the Thomas and Mac on this campus, as a matter of fact, right on this campus. Actually, not too far away. Not too far. It's actually a couple of parking lots away. And as, as I think as we speak, I believe Detroit is taking on Portland. Detroit and Portland, I believe, are locking horns right now. However, earlier tonight, 
You had the number one overall pick make his summer league debut against the number three overall pick. Now, if you guys are unfamiliar in terms of the the the, the draft picks that I'm mentioning right now, I'll go ahead and give you guys the names. Paolo Bancaro went number one overall to the to the Orlando Magic, and Jabari Smith went number three overall to the Houston Rockets. Now, Houston and Orlando actually played um, seven o'clock. Seven o'clock was the game at the Thomas and Mac, and Let's start with Paolo. Let's start with the number one overall pick. Open the game a perfect four for four. Now, I said it a while back, and I've been pretty consistent in it. Looking at the top three potential picks in this draft, and it played out the way that we expected it to in terms of Paolo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, and Jabari Smith all getting picked in the top three. I said that if I looked at all three players, um, I thought Paolo was, was NBA ready right now, and he started fast in this one. He definitely started fast in this one. Four, perfect four of four. Pardon two of two from three point range. At the time he had at the time he had eleven points. He ended up finishing with seventeen points. Here's what is probably going to be. Uh, I'm surprised it hasn't been texted to my phone just yet. But here's what is is so interesting about the rest of his the rest of his day. Uh, he started the game four for four as I just mentioned. Paolo went one for eight the rest of the way. Now, that gives you an idea about what this NBA game is going to be like for these rookies. We're about to get to the rest of them as we speak as well. (laughs) Now, while I believe Paolo to be the most NBA ready, regardless of the fact, these rookies are all going to be in the middle of a trial period. Their teams are also going to be in the middle of a trial period. So what I will say is if you're an Orlando Magic fan, first of all, I pray for you. <laughs> but second of all, you should be pretty encouraged by this. You should be really – actually, not even pretty. You should be really encouraged by this. Considering a lot of people have been questioning why you guys is, or actually why the team's draft capital hasn't necessarily progressed into what the pick suggests it should. We know injuries could play a part in that. They do play a part in that, right? But what what often happens is people overestimate these summer league games, right? I heard somebody say this earlier, and or actually yesterday, and I'll leave it at this because we're actually going to get to this person in a moment. Um, but the person said that this particular player went from playing against college players to playing against college players in different jerseys. That's exactly what Summer League is. You're going to have some veterans sprinkled in there. You're going to have some people that uh, have been overseas, right? So they they their body type is already a little more developed than some of the college players that they played against for months on end. So Orlando gets a 14-point win a day. They get 20 points off the bench from Caleb Houston, 7 of 12 from the field, 5 of 9 from deep. 
RJ Hampton also chipped in with 11 points. Devin Kennedy, pardon, also chipped in with 15. You guys hear like I'm nasally? It's my allergies. Sorry, guys. Apologize for that. So how about Jabari Parker? Or excuse me, Jabari Smith. I, I, I told myself I wasn't going to do it. I told myself I wasn't going to do it. Let's talk about Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith is going to need to gradually find his place in this league. I think this season is going to be, for all rookies, of course, a learning season. But I think for Jabari Smith in Houston, I did say I feel like it was a better situation maybe than some of the other situations that are at the bottom of the league, right, the bottom dweller teams of the league. I do think Houston has some pieces to move forward with. As I've mentioned before, I think some of the dysfunction that comes from that team in certain moments um, it can slow a growing process. It can slow a growth process, I feel like. Now, he ended up scoring 10 points in this one. He ended up taking 10 shots to get it. He went, he scored, or pardon, he shot four of 10 from the field, pulled in seven rebounds, dished out three assists. Josh Christopher, 22 points on seven of 18 shooting in just under 25 minutes. Jalen Green was in the building. Jalen Green was in the building tonight. Taking in the action for his Rockets. It's actually a video going viral right now on Twitter. Uh, I shouldn't say viral, right? I shouldn't say that. I don't like that. Mm. It's a video picking up a little steam. I don't think it's going viral, right? But Houston head coach Steven Silas is speaking to the aforementioned Jalen Green along with John Wall, who just recently reached a buyout <laughs> with the Rockets. This wasn't on my on my docket today, I'll be honest. It wasn't on my docket. However, let's go ahead and address it really quick. NBA Summer League means offseason, right? It means free agent time, right? Trades. John Wall's buyout with the Houston Rockets. I was interested to, to know uh, after so long, after so much deliberation, after so much so much negotiation on both sides, where the where where both parties were actually going to land, and in finding out where they would land, you had to do a little pocket counting, a little pocket watching, right? John Wall's contract, which which he was owed forty seven point five million dollars. The buyout ensured that John Wall would give back $6.5 million. <laughs> Score one for the good guys. I did hear John Wall was going to the Clippers, right? That's what I'm pretty sure that's what everybody heard originally. Then I heard that the Celtics were going to make a push. I think John Wall is going to be coveted. I, I, I told you guys before, I think um, John Wall is somebody that is going to have to remind certain people 
where he once was before getting injured. We'll see. I think if the Clippers are able to to steal him, that's something interesting. I think if Boston's able to steal him, that's something interesting. But I guess Boston may not need to as of right now, right? They do have Malcolm Brogdon in addition to the defensive player of the year and Marcus Smart. We'll see. The summer's still young. Speaking of the summer being young, let's talk about Chet Holmgren. Let's talk about Chet Holmgren really quick only because Chet Holmgren along with the Oklahoma City Thunder took or played and took part in the Salt Lake City Summer League. His first game, yeah, it was a monster game, I'll be honest. Unbelievable game. 23 points, 7 rebounds, 6 blocks, 4 assists, and a steal. And he played a little over, I believe, 23 minutes. I've mentioned a couple of times on this show his charisma, right, his attitude, his 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 arrogance. As he was being interviewed following the win, the 98-77 to win over Utah, I believe he was standing right next to Josh Giddy as well. He was told about the summer league record for six blocks. And um, <laughs> he said, wow, a record? Really? That's it? And that's his way of letting you know that he could do a lot more, right? Now, I don't know if it was the Salt Lake City Summer League. But it wasn't the entire summer league. And the reason why I say that is because Chet Holmgren was right in that moment. Isaiah Jackson last year posted the summer league record for blocks with eight. So it just goes to show again his his arrogance, right? He goes at, he he looks up at the board, he says, Wow, six blocks, that's it. He's coming to break it again. I believe he said that as well. Let's see how he did next time around. Well, next time around, they played the Memphis Grizzlies. And Chet Holmgren was introduced to somebody named Kenny Lofton Jr., Anybody know who Senior is? So Kenny Lofton, former major leaguer, his son, Junior, is participating in summer league with the Memphis Grizzlies. 
How did he do against Chet Holmgren? The defensive threat that everybody believed Chet Holmgren to be. And if you guys are at home right now as well, I want you guys to Google Chet Holmgren. Look at the body type, right? Lengthy. Slimmer. And then go look at Kenny Lofton. Junior, of course. But the exact opposite. The complete opposite. Shorter, wider, more physical. Physicality won out when Kenny Lofton posted 19.6 rebounds and three assists. In the game over Oklahoma City. How did Chet do on the other side? Well, technically, I, I did see something from uh, Richard Jefferson that said that summer league stats don't count. He's right, they don't. However, he posted his first professional double-double with 11 points, 12 rebounds, 3 Assists and two blocks, playing around 26 minutes. However, the Oklahoma City did get the win. DraftKings, DKNation.com specifically. Made sure to mention that he did finish with a plus 14, plus minus. Plus minus is something else that we'll be talking about to end this first first half, rather, uh, of the show. So this just goes back to, to to mention what I've said before. Chet Holmgren, along with the rest of these rookies, they're going to have growing pains. And for the people who only want to see Chet Holmgren fail, his confidence, his arrogance is only going to make people root on his downfall even louder. That vast drop-off from game one to game two it's noticeable. The laughing emoji after the first game. Now, again, when you tweet out things that are that cryptic, right, quote, unquote, you you leave room for everybody else to be the judge. But in doing that, it appeared that it looked easy, right? Like, taking candy from a baby is easy. Not as much the following night. Or the following game, I should say. Now, I'm going to take a sit back really quick. Take a seat back, rather. Because I want to try to be as calm as possible for this topic. So earlier today, it was announced that Brittany Griner pled guilty to drug charges in Russia. Um. 
wow, this is one of the moments that I wish somebody else was here just to kind of help me guide the conversation because not even sure where to, be, where to begin with something like this. Let's begin with the people that are saying that she did the crime, let her do the time. I would like to tell you, to ask you guys, rather, challenge you guys. Question yourself and find out how much time was she supposed to do for the alleged crime? Now... She's caught with 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 the pen that contained hashish oil. They weighed it. That's what, for anybody who knows. That's the main thing I wanted to know. I wanted to know how much did she have. What I found interesting there was a lot of people that were saying, "Doesn't matter how much she had." Yeah, it does. Matters a lot. Here's why people like myself were asking that question. Brittany Griner ultimately was found with 0.7 grams. 0.7 grams of oil. Not even a full gram. By Russian law, somebody found with that amount of THC on their person is subject to a fine. Brittany Griner has been in prison for more than four months. Now, it bothers me that it appears that so many people are looking for reasons to justify why BG is in the situation she's in. I'm not sure anybody can make that make sense to me. But do whatever you got to do to make it work. I'm reminded of my friend who had the conversation about, oh, do you really think she would be used as a political trade shit? Every single time, and I think I believe I said it on Monday, every time that this that the new news comes out, Almost want to go back to that original post and just drop it there. I tell you guys all the time, the proof is in the pudding. 
What are we discussing? What about this proves that she's not a political trade shit? Trade shit. So with this guilty plea, she faces up to 10 years in prison under the drug smuggling charges. Listen to the charges. Bigger than listen to the charges, listen to a Russian legal team. This is according to CNN. They said her guilty plea is, quote, or rather, it, quote, sets an example of being brave. Here's the full quote. She decided to take full responsibility for her actions as she knows that she is a role model for many people. Brittany Griner should have been fined. The fact that Brittany Griner is even in this situation to begin with explains the flaw. What appeared to be a, a lack of urgency. To get her home has been the driving force in the bubbling frustrations among her supporters. That still remains today. Asia Wilson just did a a, a media availability recently where she was moved to tears. Literally could not finish the press conference. However, this guilty plea does enter the possibility of now a prisoner swap. Remember that thing about me saying that I just want to take certain information and just drop it back on that post? And say, now you ask that question, you answer that question. Of if I believe that she's a political a political trade shit. It's happening right here, right in front of us. And I have the name. Brittany Griner is expected to I shouldn't say expected. Has been rumored. To be a part of a potential swap for convicted arms dealer Victor Bout. In which, if that trade swap was, is prisoner swap, I said trade swap. If that prisoner swap was to go through, BG would return home and Victor Bout would be headed back to Russia. And according to Forbes, 
Back in May, the negotiations were in its, quote, early stages. You tell me where that stage is now. You guys tell me. Again, we pray for Brittany Griner. We pray for her safe and speedy return home. As the world on this side just continues to head into every day, right? Just heading into the next day. I take a moment and I and I and I think about I think about this every time I mention Brittany Griner on the show and I think about just going to the next topic, right? I think about what her wife said. About how, how she said that everybody else is counting the days. She counts the seconds. <sighs> Trying to move on the best way possible. We're going to talk some WNBA news. And we're going to talk about why Asia Wilson feels that the upon returning from the All-Star break that the Las Vegas Aces need to, quote, figure this shit out. Well, she might be on to something. The team is 2-5 and five in their last seven. Most recently, they lost their return home after a four-game road trip, their final game before the All-Star break. They hosted the New York Liberty. Ended up dropping now when 116-107. Yeah, you guys heard me right. 116 to 107. The Aces were outscored 33 to 23 in the final quarter. It seems so long ago that the Aces had started the season 6 and 0 at home, right? They are 2 and 4 in their next 6 at home from the house from the Michelob Ultra Arena. Pardon. Let's talk about this game specifically. Sabrina Ionescu. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. I didn't think she was going to miss a shot. I didn't think she was going to miss a shot. She ended up only missing three of them. She went 10 of 13, 7 of 8 from 3. Made all four of her free throws, did reel in 13 rebounds and dish out four, or excuse me, 10 assists. That's the first 30-point triple-double in WNBA history. First ever. 
And on top of that, in her third season, she has tied Candace Parker for the most triple doubles by a single player at three. I want you guys to think about it at home and just quiz yourself. Just test yourself and put a percentage on it. Put a percentage on whether Sabrina Ionescu gets another one this year. I'm going to go through some of her games and let you guys know where she's at. Against the Aces, she put up 31, 13, and 10. Three nights before that, she put up 14, 9, and 8. A couple games before that, she put up 17, 13, and 7. 21, 9, and 8. 11, 11, and 6. 12, 8, and 10, 10, 7, and 9, 27, 13, and 12. Listen to that stat line. 27, 13, and 12 against the Chicago Sky, mind you. Let's see what let's see what a couple of those, a couple of these other numbers look like. 26, 8, and 8, 10, 9, and 7, 17, 7, and 6. 25, 4, and 6. Just to give you guys a, a little bit of an idea about how much of a Swiss Army knife and all-around player that Sabrina Ionescu is for Sandy Brondello and the New York Liberty. Speaking about Sandy Brondello, after the game, I spoke with Jackie Young about Sandy, and as I said before, on paper, this looks like a typical East versus West matchup. In the WNBA, that's the exact opposite of what it is, in fact. Um, actually, Sandy added a different wrinkle into this one because Sandy was the former or is the former head coach of the Phoenix Mercury, who was, in many people's eyes, shockingly let go following last season. In case you do not remember, the Phoenix Mercury are the same team that knocked out the Las Vegas Aces from the WNBA playoffs in Game 5 from the Michelob Osher Arena. A game where Brittany Griner dominated, by the way. Sabrina had help. Hanju. Posted 24 points off the bench. 24 points off the bench. 11 of 12. In fact, she missed her only shot with 28.1 seconds left in regulation. I was speaking with Brian Salmon after the game, and I told him I wouldn't have took the shot. We're getting this win. I have 20-plus points. I haven't missed. I'm not shooting. Call it what you want. Hanju added 
eight rebounds and three assists as well. Her 24 points actually matched the 24 points from the from almost a UNLV from the Las Vegas bench. Though it only played three players. Head coach Becky Hammond went three deep on the bench. She went Kia Stokes, Ileana Rupert, and Raquana Williams. Raquana Williams looked good, knocking down two of her first uh, three-pointers. Ileana Rupert also knocked down three of her four long balls. She finished with a career-high 13 points. Let's talk about the MVP of the team. Let's talk about Asia Wilson. Scary moment in the first quarter. Um, took a blind side. Wow, I, I wish you guys could have been in the building to hear it. Uh, took a blind side hit uh, on a screen from D.D. Richards from New York. And um, it appeared that Asia may have hit the corner of her head, uh, maybe by the temple area on D.D.'s shoulder. It instantly went down, held her head. Had to be helped from the floor. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, when she goes down, she ends up leaving the floor. I believe that was actually, I have my notes in front of me. That was the 416 mark of the first quarter. She left the floor immediately to the back. Again, had to be kind of helped to the back. Left under her own power, but did have somebody guiding her. Returns in between quarters. Started the second quarter. She comes out, of course, to a thunderous response to the from the from the Michelob Ultra Arena crowd. The same crowd that was waved at by Sabrina Yanescu following one of her floaters to at, at the conclusion of the game. Six oh nine. That was the time that Asia Wilson was able to check back into the game, and from there she hit a switch. She scored ten straight points for the Aces in route to a team high twenty nine points on seven of twelve shooting, including two made threes. She did get to the free throw line fifteen times. She knocked down thirteen of her fifteen free throw attempts. She did pull in nine rebounds and dish out four assists. The stat that she was interested in the most after the game was her negative twenty three in the plus minus category. That is by far the game high. I shouldn't say by far, right? Chelsea Gray actually had a negative 20. Even with Asia Wilson's 29 points, she did highlight her negative 23 plus minus, and she mentioned that it was heart, that it was shattering her heart because she can't do that to the team. Even with the struggles, the Aces shot 49% from the field, 48% from three. They shot 13 of 27 from three-point range, only to be outshot by the New York Liberties. 18 of 31, that is 58% from deep to go along with 58% from inside. It's kind of hard to beat a team when you allow them to shoot 
on the inside, let alone 58% from the outside as well in conjunction with that. Gives you a little, a little idea about where this team is. Um, Asia Wilson jokingly said after the game, the team is on a breakup right now, that the team needs a break, the team needs space. Um, only so much space they're going to get because four of them, in addition to the head coach, they're headed to the All-Star game. Asia Wilson will lead Team Wilson against Team Stewart. I'm going to break down those teams for you guys right now. Uh, both teams have co-captains. Team Wilson has Sue Bird. Team Stewart has Sylvia Fowles. Now, I'm going to run down these teams really quick. Team Wilson, Candace Parker, Kelsey Plum, Neko Ogumake, Jewel Lloyd, Kalia Copper, Skylar Diggins-Smith, Alyssa Thomas, Arike Ogumbawale, and Emma Misaman. Oh, you know what? I don't know why they did that. Sorry, guys. I'm actually on the WNBA website. I was wrong on half of those teams, on half of that team. Let me go ahead and redo that really quick. Team Wilson. Of course, co-captain Sue Bird. They have Candace Parker. Kelsey Plum. Neko Ogumake. Ryan Howard. De'Erica Hamby. Courtney Vandersloot. Ariel Atkins. Brianna Jones. And Natasha Howard. For Team Stewart, rather. Co-captain Sylvia Fowles. Team Stewart's first pick was actually Jackie Young, teammate of Asia Wilson, followed by John Quill Jones, Sabrina Ionescu, Jewel Lloyd, Kalia Copper, Skylar Diggins-Smith, Alyssa Thomas, Arike Ogumbawale, and Emma Misaman. However, in what has become a tradition in these all-star playground-style pick-em games, right? We have some trades to announce. First of all, it's only right that in her final WNBA All-Star game, Sue Bird was traded to Team Stewart for fellow co-captain Sylvia Fowles. So now Sylvia Fowles is swapped over to Team Wilson. Imagine that front court, right? Sylvia Fowles and Asia Wilson. Oh, my gosh. Well, you're going to get to see it on Sunday. You're also going to get to see, team, uh, as I said before, Team Stewart, Brianna Stewart, back joined up, joined back at the hip with Sue Bird. There was one more trade to announce. Neko Ogumake was traded from Team Wilson to Team Stewart for, for Sabrina Ionescu. So a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of talent on both sides, a lot of energy on both sides. Got to be honest, both sides are packed. Both sides are are, are packed to, to the rim. I, I think I do see my winner in this game. Um, but I'll let it be where it is. As of right now, as I've said before, Team Wilson is headed by Becky Hammond, while Team Stewart is headed by James Wade. So Becky Hammond is now coaching against Jackie Young. So that's interesting. It's going to be new. However, she will be aided by Kelsey Plum, Asia Wilson, and Erica Hamby, all from the Las Vegas Aces. When the season returns, the team returns to a three-game road trip, beginning in New York. As it presently stands, the team is 15-7 and seven this year. They're first in the West. However, their, their lead over the West is getting a lot smaller, is getting a lot smaller They're only a half game up on Seattle. 
a half game up on a dangerous Seattle team. And more than that, they no longer have the best record in the league at 15 and 7. They are currently an entire game behind the Chicago Sky, who are 16 and 6. And now that we are officially at the All Star break, now we know who will host the Commissioner's Cup on July 26th. If the Aces would have won yesterday, they would have clinched their spot. Or I shouldn't say clinched their spot. Excuse me, clinched home court for that Commissioner Cup game on July 26th. However, they were unable to do so while Chicago took care of Indiana, I believe it was, tonight. So that brings an end to that. Becky Hammond... Um, has expressed some frustrations with the way that the team has shared the ball or lack thereof in certain moments. Um, in addition to that, it seems that frustration just appears to be boiling for this group. <clears throat> Pardon. As mentioned before, a vacation is good for everybody. So we'll see how this team responds upon returning. Another little tidbit for you guys if you guys needed it. This team is 3-5 and five against teams from the East this year. They have two losses against Washington. They have a loss against Chicago, a loss against New York, and a loss against Connecticut. Just giving you guys some information. As we get ready to round out this basketball talk, let's round it out with some good news. Actually, before we do that, uh, the WNBA All-Star Game that I just mentioned, Team Wilson versus Team Stewart, that takes place on Sunday, 10 a.m. 10 a.m. on Sunday from Chicago. Now, ending this basketball talk, Big news coming out of UNLV in the basketball program that has little to do with basketball. Um, we've said it for quite some time. We've gotten exclusive ex- exclusive interviews. We've gotten exclusive sound bites. We've had moments where uh, she told us that this was coming, right? One of the main reasons why I said that head coach Lindy LaRock was not willing to look at other positions and other jobs at this present moment was because a she was where she wanted to be and b she was ready to start a family well i'm here to let you guys know that that family has officially started Lindy LaRock and her family will be expecting baby Cunningham in November. So congratulations to Lindy LaRock and her family. Congratulations to the to the Lady Rebel program as a whole. Uh, you know how close that, that unit is, how close that group is. Um, this is something that, as I said before, Lindy has been open with the people that she felt comfortable to be open with. And... Um, as I've said before, Matt and I, we spoke about it. We couldn't we couldn't be more happy for her. 
this is a, a woman who lives on a timeline, right? She's so methodical. She's so meticulous. Um, just couldn't be more happy <laughs> for Coach and her family. It's just a great feeling, great energy to know what's coming for Lindy LaRock and husband Dan. And by the way, Lindy's been... Lindy's been, been 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 making a little run around here in Vegas. Last month, I believe the end of last month, she tossed out the first pitch at the Las Vegas Aviators at Las Vegas Ballpark. And I believe later that week I was at the Aces game and I saw Lindy LaRock sit in front row. So gives you an idea about how beloved she already is in this city and especially considering the success that she's had with the Lady Rebel program. I expect that love in the city to continue to grow. She mentioned it during the season. She mentioned it when she goes to the grocery store now. People highlight it. People mention it. People mention her her her, uh, her uh, UNLV apparel. And as she said before, it, just, it makes her happy. It makes her proud to be from Vegas. And now this city also marks the beginning of her foundation. So congratulations to Dan and Lindy once again. You guys want to talk football? We can talk football for, well, we could probably talk football for 30. We could probably talk football for 30. We're not going to talk the entire 30 minutes about the same topic. We got three different topics here, but... We're starting in a familiar spot. We're starting in the NFL. We're starting with the trade news that broke today, that broke 10 hours ago. I am reading this from The Athletic as we speak. The Cleveland Browns have traded Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers for a 2024 fifth-round pick. The pick could become a fourth-rounder. That is a conditional pick. At last, the Baker Mayfield saga is done. Or is it? I don't know whether... You know what? People say that you take you wherever you go, right? I know we like to give different people different scenarios, different situations, multiple chances. Um, It does appear that Baker Mayfield doesn't get that benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to say something that probably adds to that, that, that stereotype, that stigma. But here goes nothing. If this is not the end of the hoopla, are we to automatically assume no matter what, no matter what, that Baker Mayfield is the problem. Are we at the point to where anything that happens in Carolina, if it goes wrong, 
are we automatically assuming Baker Mayfield is the problem? Because that's what he's going to have to face. He's going to have to face that question or that harsh reality of if it doesn't go right, you thought you were public enemy number one in Cleveland. To make as big of a fuss as he did, again, I'm not here to say that he was right or wrong. Cleveland made their choice known and obvious where they wanted to go, right, which direction they wanted to head. I don't have to stay there. We treat this like a relationship. (laughs) Maybe they shouldn't, right? But look at it like a relationship. You tried to go out, find better. You were on the fence. You were unsure. I don't have to sit there and wait for you to make your choice. And that's what Baker did. He chose to not wait. That's his prerogative. He cannot wait. But if you don't wait, not to mention, they're unsure of what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. I'm not sure the number, but he began to settle out of court with a lot of those women, right? Doesn't mean that he's avoided further penalty from the league. So now Baker Mayfield is no longer on the roster. Jacoby Brissett, he's lined up to be your your backup and probably your starter for at least the first couple of weeks, right? And then you get to Carolina. (laughs) I believe there was a post a while back, maybe a couple months back, um, on Instagram where one of the, let's say Bleacher Report, House of Highlights, ESPN, Sports Center, who knows, right? NFL. Somebody posted, should Carolina trade for Baker Mayfield? Why receiver Robbie Anderson said no series of O's. I'm not exaggerating here. No. And now they do. Professional sports is such a weird time, right? Sports switch really quick. Over in the NBA during the postseason, Anthony Edwards said he couldn't understand why his team couldn't finish over Rudy Gobert. He felt the best rim protector in the league was Kristaps Porzingis. He said, quote, Rudy Gobert, he said he doesn't put any fear into my heart. Now they're teammates. Baker Mayfield is now a teammate of Robbie Anderson. I've seen Baker to be, I believe Baker to be one of those guys that holds grudges. I forgot who he was speaking about, but Baker came in before and may have been about Odell Beckham and 
he said that he just hopes that the person comes in and they and they're, they're professional and they do and they do their job. What happens if Robbie Anderson doubles down in front of him? They just traded for a quarterback, the most important position on the football field, right? Didn't have to give up too much to get him. Let's be honest. But who do they side with in that moment? I'll tell you guys what I don't like. I don't like Robbie Anderson saying after the fact, I believe somebody posted uh, exactly what, what I just said. They brought it back up. And Robbie says, stop trying to start a narrative or spin a narrative or something along the lines of that. Nobody's trying to spin anything. There was a blatant question that was asked that you answered. The question wasn't even solely asked to you. Whether you were trying to be funny or what, you said it. If anybody started a narrative, you did. You started a narrative with him before he was your teammate. Nevertheless, Robbie Anderson now has Baker Mayfield to catch footballs from. How does he feel about it? If I'm to believe his Instagram prior to the trade already taking place, right? He's not too happy. To make things better, week one, Carolina and Cleveland, they will meet again. Baker Mayfield will have his first shot to shine with his new team against his old team. We'll see if he turns some heads with this play. Another football topic. Las Vegas Raiders news. Team owner Mark Davis continues to be the standard, be the example. Be the limit pusher. However, let's explain how he did it. And I'm reading this from ESPN. The Raiders have hired Las Vegas attorney Sandra Douglas Morgan to be their new team president. 
as she becomes the first black woman to hold that title for an NFL franchise. Round of applause to the owner of the NF, or excuse me, the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders and the Las Vegas Aces, Mark Davis. Mark Davis is the same guy who came to the WNBA and was told about the cap, right, that he could put on his players' contracts, and he immediately started arguing for that cap to be expanded. Almost immediately. Mark Davis has talked about the travel in the WNBA. Do we think that Mark Davis can't afford private travel for the Las Vegas Aces? Who is it? It was Cy and somebody else over in New York that that runs the Liberty that were fined for flying charter because it, quote, gave their team an unfair competitive advantage by not flying Delta because the other team flew Delta. Mark Davis has been very vocal about the change that needs to happen, not only in the WNBA or the NFL, but all around, right? However, this move, this move right here, oh, wait, not to mention... He came and gave Becky Hammond a seven-figure contract. But this move here, this hiring of Sandra Douglas Morgan to be the Raiders team president may be his biggest move of all. She comes to the Raiders at the previously serving as the chairwoman and executive director for the Nevada Gaming Control Board. She also served as a director of external affairs for AT&T. And here's a quote from Mark Davis. I am thrilled that Sandra has has agreed to join the Raiders family. Her experience, integrity, and passion for this community will be invaluable to our organization. From the moment I met Sandra, I knew she was a force to be reckoned with. We are extremely lucky to have her at the helm. Morgan becomes the third woman and the third person, or excuse me, black person, to become the president of an NFL team. Again, round of applause to Mark Davis for giving Sandra Douglas Morgan the opportunity to show what she's worth, to show what she's capable of, and all it, and I tell people all the time, all it takes is that one door opening. This is not new to her. She was already the first person of color to chair the Nevada Gaming Control Board. So with her already being the first to do that, I don't think she's really too worried about being a third woman and third black person to become a president in the NFL, right? Huge news. Big time news. 
and a great look for Las Vegas, a great look for Mark Davis, a great look for the for the Las Vegas Raiders. Great look all the way around. July 18th, July 18th, that is the start of training camp. That is the start of training camp here in Las Vegas. Your Las Vegas Raiders kicking off yet another season from the Death Star. One more football topic, and then we'll talk baseball, and we'll get out of here. Big weekend in the IFL. Huge weekend in the IFL. If you go to their website right now, they have it listed out, bannered across the top of their website. Five teams competing for three remaining playoff spots. Five teams. Yes, your Vegas Nighthawks are one of those teams. However, guys, I need you guys to do one thing and do one thing for me. And that's to pay attention. Pay close attention. Pay close attention. Pay close attention. I need you guys to pay close attention to one game this week. And, of course, with your Nighthawks playing on Sunday, the game that I need you guys to pay close attention to is on Saturday night. Because depending on what happens Saturday night, determines whether the game on Sunday means anything for your Vegas Nighthawks. I say that because the Duke City Gladiators, the fourth place team in the Western Conference, will be taking on the San Diego Strike Force from San Diego. Sitting in fourth place, Duke City holds a record of six and eight this year. And they're traveling to a team that's 3-11. So Vegas needs help from a team that sits on the bottom half of the league with a 3-11 record. However, they're playing against a Duke City team that has already lost three straight games. In order for the Nighthawks to get into the postseason, they need the Gladiators to lose both of their remaining games while they win their final game which we'll get to in just one moment. So, Vegas is rooting for an epic collapse, right? A collapse of epic proportions, which in order for them to make the postseason, the Gladiators would have to lose their last five games. They've already lost their last three with two more remaining to end the year at 6-10, and 10, while the Nighthawks would have to end the, ten, end the year at 7-9. and nine. They can't both end at 7-9 and nine or 6-10. and 10. Because the Nighthawks do not hold the tiebreaker. Duke City got a win over Vegas. Earlier this season, it was back in May. It was May 21st. It was a 47-21 to win from the Dollar Loan Center. Some of those home losses coming back to bite the Nighthawks in their inaugural season. They're, they were 3-5 and five at home this year, 3-4 and four in a row with one more game to play. Let's talk about that final game to play. That final game to play is against Arizona. 
It's a road trip to Arizona where they will take on the Arizona Rattlers from Phoenix, Arizona. I've mentioned to you guys before, but if you guys have followed this inaugural season for the Vegas Nighthawks, you guys may have heard this Arizona team, and you may not have good feelings about it. And the reason why is because the last time these two teams saw each other was week five in the IFL. That was April 8th, and it was a 47-point loss for Vegas. Again, at home in Vegas, it was a 67-20 win for Arizona. An Arizona team that, as of right now, their first place in the Western Conference, they're 12-3. and three. They're 12-3 and three in the Western Conference. However, bad news for the Nighthawks, they still have something to play for. Northern Arizona sits right on their heels at 11-3. and three. They still haven't clinched the first spot in the Western Conference. So they still have something to play for. The Nighthawks need to win to get into the postseason. They need the Gladiators to keep losing. As Matt said before, maybe a couple of weeks ago, while the playoff hopes got dimmer, there still was a shot. The Eastern Conference is pretty much all but sewn up, right? The Frisco Fighters sitting at the top 12-2. and two. Massachusetts, defending champs, Massachusetts, sits right below them at 9-5. and five. Then you got the Iowa Barnstormers and Quad City Steam Wheelers. Sitting at third and fourth, both with an eight and six record. Sioux Falls is right outside of that with seven with a seven and seven record. That third place team over in the West, in case you wanted to go ahead and know who sat between Arizona and Northern Arizona, Duke City and Vegas, that third place team is the Tucson Sugar Skulls, which also owns two victories over the Nighthawks this season. This game against Arizona, as I've mentioned before, will be a season finale in this inaugural season for Vegas, a team that just came off of a 65-33 win over Bay Area in their regular season home finale, their first ever regular season home finale. Quarterback Cameron Dukes. I mentioned his play after the last game, 25 of 39, six touchdowns, 315 yards. His six touchdowns went to four different receivers. And this week, he has been highlighted as the IFL's Offensive Player of the Week. I wonder how head coach Mike Davis felt about it. Now, he mentioned before that the league and everybody else can keep those awards because every time they get one, they play bad. Well, who's gotten one so far this year? Jalen Henderson got one. Gerard Evans got two. And now Cameron Dukes has one. I haven't done my research to, to tonight just to, just to check and be sure, but I believe coming off of one of those quotes, I believe the Nighthawks have three losses. After, ha after having quarterbacks named the league's offensive player of the year, or the week, excuse me. We'll see if Cameron Dukes can, can shock everybody. 
can help shock everybody and not only get a win over Arizona, but with the help of Duke City. Let's see if Cameron Dukes can lead the Nighthawks to the postseason in their inaugural season. Keep in mind, he's only made four professional starts. Young quarterback still learning, still growing, still leading. Let's talk some baseball and go home. Your Las Vegas Aviators are going back and forth with the Oklahoma City Dodgers, both top teams in the PCL. The Dodgers, of course, leading the East. The Aviators, of course, leading the West. This has been an amazing series. This has been a series filled with ups and downs, blowouts, huge innings, home runs, bad pitching. It's been filled with everything. It started on the 4th of July. It started on Monday. The Aviators used the eight-run fourth inning and two home runs by one player to get that series opening win. They ended up getting the first six to reach. Four of them came across the score in that, in that fourth inning. Catcher Austin Allen had the highlight of the inning with a third, or excuse me, with a three-run home run. That was the first of his two home runs that night. He ended up going two for four with two home runs, five RBIs, two runs scored, and a strikeout. Parker Dunchy ended up getting that win. It was his third relief appearance on the year. Prior to this appearance, Parker Dunchy was one in seven prior to this appearance. He was still roughed up, roughed up in this one. He ended up going four in the third, giving up three runs on six hits. Struck out three, but he walked four. With the win, he's now two and seven on a year with an ERA of seven, seven, seven. Somebody told me that those were lucky, especially here in Vegas. Prior to this last win, his, mo his most recent win prior to this last one was May 4th. He had lost six of his last nine outings. The following night, Vegas and Oklahoma City was the only game on for all of minor, uh, excuse me, for all of AAA baseball, I should say. And the Aviators used a 5 nothing start to eventually knock off Oklahoma City. They added some insurance runs in the eighth. Nate Mondu came to play in this one. Nate Mondu ended up hitting a, a two-run single in the second inning. He ended up doing it again in the sixth inning. At that point, he had three run-producing hits the first two games of the series in game two of the series he went four for six three singles a double four rbis a run scored in a strikeout he has five or excuse me he rather he had five rbis through the first two games of the series and seven rbis in the last three games total colin wiles picked up another win he is now three and three and one rather in his last four games with a quality start in all four contests He's now 6-6 six and six on the season. Aviators went up 2-0 in the series after that one. Only to have the Dodgers win back-to-back -back games, including tonight. Yesterday's game was, was really painful for the Aviators after they gave up three different leads. They led 2-0, 6-4, 7-6. 
only to have Jared Koenig cough it up in the fifth inning. He coughed it up on a two-run home run, which tied the game at six apiece. He ended up leaving the game after five innings pitch, giving up six runs on nine hits. He struck out five and walked two. The person with the home run off him, Ryan Noda. That was his first of two home runs that night as well. His second home run gave the Dodgers the lead for good. That second home run was actually hit off of Norhe Ruiz, who suffered his first loss on the season. He was 4-0 prior to that. He ended up giving up three runs on three hits in two innings pitch while striking out two. And then tonight's game. Tonight's game, the Aviators' long run came from outfielder Vince Fernandez on a two-run double in the sixth inning that played it Dalton Kelly and Billy McKinney, former Dodger Billy McKinney. Fernandez went one for three with that double. Two, excuse me, two runs knocked in, so two RBIs, two strikeouts, and two walks. Las Vegas as a team drew eight walks. However, they left 11 men on base. The Aviators were able to muscle out eight and, and kind of stretch out, claw out, scratch out eight hard walks only to leave 11 men on base. They went one for 13 with runners in scoring position. Jack Cushion was literally beat around in this one. He ended up going four and two-thirds, gave up nine runs on nine hits, including three home runs. Over the last two games, he's given up five long balls. He did strike out four and walk three. Over the last two games, he's given up 13 runs on 17 hits over eight and two-thirds innings pitched with 10 strikeouts to just three walks. Pounding the strike zone. He's giving you what you want in that regard. He's pounding the strike zone. However, he's not missing very many bats. This season, Jack Cushion is 1-2 with a 12.79 ERA in AAA. That's a far cry from what he did in Midland. In AA Midland, he was 6-1 with a 3.19 ERA in 10 AA starts. We'll see if Jack Cushion is given a little more cushion with his AAA stay or if he has a trip back to Midland on the horizon. As of right now, the Aviators are 45-36. and 36. They're still first place in the PCL West. Currently, they have the Reno Aces of the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Salt Lake Angels, or excuse me, and the Salt Lake Bees of the Los Angeles Angels organization on their heels. They have Reno, that's three and a half games back, and then they have Salt Lake, who actually entered today seven and a half back. And following a loss, they now are eight games behind the Aviators for first place in the PCL West. The Dodgers are still first place in their, in their uh, PCL East standings. They are 49 and 33. Once again, they are 49 and 33 versus your Aviators, 45 and 36. El Paso is the next closest team in the East sitting three and a half games out of first place. This series with the Dodgers actually concludes on Saturday. And then the Aviators, for the first time all season long, will get back-to-back off days. Scheduled off days, let me say that. 
Following those back-to-back off days, they will start a fresh six-game series from Las Vegas Ballpark on Tuesday against the Salt Lake Bees. We will see if Salt Lake is able to make up any ground on your first-place division-leading Las Vegas Aviators. One more baseball topic, and we'll get out of here. Let's talk about your athletics. Oakland was off today, but most recently the team took two of three. That means they have another series win. I say another because it doesn't seem like the AV or excuse me, that the athletics, they've given you guys much to cheer about. But most recently they took the first two before dropping the series finale against Toronto. They did that from Oakland. So we'll highlight why that's important in a brief moment. They opened the series with a 5-1 win, followed it up with a 5-3 win before ultimately losing that series finale by a run, by a final score of 2-1. That's their second series win for Oakland in their last four tries. They ended up losing to the Yankees. They lost to the Mariners. And just before that, they had took two of three against Kansas City. So it wasn't a good June. For Oakland, but they're trying to start off July a lot better. So far, six games into July, they are three and three. With a three-game home series against Houston coming up. And I just said that it was important to mention that this series win against Toronto came in Oakland. That's because this Oakland team is 10 and 29 at home. That is the worst mark in the majors. Their 28 and 56 overall record is also worse than the majors. It's last in the AL West. They are 27 games behind first place. That is an astonishing number. They are 27 games behind first place in the AL West. They're actually 10 games out of fourth, of fourth place in the same division, occupied currently by the LA Angels of Anaheim. And I don't even think they call them that anymore which is why we told you guys not to change the name, but whatever. I feel like I ran about the Angels every show. And if I do, I don't even care. <clears throat> That's the, the the stress and the pain that I've been having to deal with. But wasn't as painful As I thought this show was going to be, I should say, having to get through it by myself. Um, we we had some last-minute changes. Um, wasn't entirely prepared to do this uh, by myself today, but we did it. We made it work. And, um, again, Summer League is in town. Summer League is in town. The Aviators are back next week. The WNBA is in, is in the middle of their All-Star. Actually, the start of their All-Star break. Oh, man, what else do we have? We have... Uh, the Battle for Vegas coming up. We have your Raiders against your Vegas Golden Knights. Both teams are in their offseason. Again, Raider training camp opens later this month, July 18th. I am Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. This has been the Talk That Talk radio show. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking. <laughs>